Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, and welcome to our Take Control of Your Health podcast, in which we bring you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. This next interview is part of my Best of series, which features some of the most popular interviews with leading health experts. So thank you for listening. Now let's get started with this week's program to help you and your family take control of your health. Fluoride, one of the most pernicious toxins in your water supply. What can you do about it? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping take control of your health. And today, we are joined by Dr. Bill Osmondson, who is a dentist in the Seattle area, and he is going to enlighten us on the details to answer that question. And we're doing this because this is part of our Fluoride Action Week, and we want to create awareness about this issue because it is a problem. And let me just give you a little premise before we dive in with Dr. Osmondson, but fluoride is a problem for a number of reasons. It's purported to decrease the risk of dental cavities, but there's a big question mark, which we'll discuss whether it even does that, especially systemically in the water supply. But the, what, what are the downsides? Well, it displaces iodine from your thyroid, and if you're a woman, you're already at high risk for hypothyroidism, and this is gonna make it even worse. So it's a really serious issue, and it could also interfere, it's a metabolic, mitochondrial toxin. So it will sabotage your mitochondria's ability to create cellular energy in the form of ATP. So with all that background, we're gonna dive in and talk to Dr. Osmondson, who's joining us from Seattle, and he's going to help us understand this in a, in a deeper way. So why don't you enlighten us, Dr. Osmondson, as how you first became interested in this issue? Because as a dentist, you know, there are a number of communities that don't or that currently have fluoridated water supplies and are seeking to remove them. And usually there's this debate that goes on before it's voted on. And they almost always bring in dentists to defend the fluoride position. So here you are as a dentist, not defending it. In fact, saying it needs to be out of the water supply. So tell us your journey and how you came to that conclusion. Well, years ago, uh, I would get a call occasionally from a water um, distribution company uh, in the city and they would say bill what do you think on fluoridation of water and i would ham and haw a little bit and then say of course i i um i support it just like my profession does one of the first things i did was um listen to dr hardy lineback he's a professor emeritus of uh, the university of toronto dental school as a dentist phd researcher uh very credible i was uh, in charge of uh, canadian research dental research in canada um, he had a presentation that showed that fluoridation uh, did not improve uh, or lower dental caries. It was a real shock to me, a, a knee in the gut, actually. Um, so I started looking at more of, of the fluoride because I have a master's in public health, and a, as a dentist, practicing dentist, um, fluoride is part of both of my professions. And uh, I felt like it was my responsibility to, to really look into this a lot more. So that's how I really started in on, on the fluoridation. Got involved with the Fluoride Action Network and a few other groups in trying to reduce the amount of fluoride that people are ingesting. Yes, well, thank, thank you for that background. And it is, I did not, was not aware that you had an MPH, Master of Public Health. So 
Uh, as part of that, certainly the CDC is typically plays a big role in most people who have an MPH, and uh, they are responsible for reporting disease incidents. But somehow, some way, they co-opted the, the fluoride proponent because they made a proclamation a few years ago as the greatest health benefits, public health benefits of the 20th century, and they proclaimed that fluoride was the worst, was the best. And actually, you know, from my perspective, the worst crime, health crime of the 20th century was the dermatologist saying that you should not be in the sun and deprive, and, and most people in the 21st century still believe that, you need to avoid the sun exposure. So that's a crime. So you've got the sun, limiting sun exposure on one, and then we've got the CDC saying this is the best component. And you know, when they do polls, uh, many people believe this is a, is a uh, abrogation of their freedom of uh, choice because we don't have a choice. And if you're living in a municipal water supply, you're gonna get fluoridated. And if you're an infant who has fluoridated water, you're gonna get a dose that's 10, 100 times higher than you should possibly ever have, even by the conservative EPA recommendations. So why don't you talk, discuss that, that issue and elaborate on all that a little bit. Well, that's my biggest concern are infants and children. Um, the EPA did a dose response analysis and uh, also did a uh, relative uh, source contribution. And even their data shows that at the 90th percentile, um, which they use, they don't try to protect 100% of people, they only try to protect 90%. But if you look at the children, and the infants, well, they don't even include infants because they get such a toxic dose that's not part of their, uh, their data. They're looking at children as after six months of age. And about 80% of children up to around the age of three or four are getting um, more fluoride, significantly more fluoride than what they should. So we have our children that are getting at, um, at a young age, uh, infants, if they're on fluoridated water making formula, then they are getting hundreds of times more fluoride than mother's milk. The latest research that we have um, that was put out by Dr. Hertzie uh, shows that we should only be getting about 0.001 milligrams per kilogram per day. And that's the same as mother's milk. So we should be reducing the amount of fluoride that we're getting. Uh, very important. And unfortunately, the EPA, when the National Research Council in 2006 said your um, uh, maximum contaminant level is too high, what the EPA did is they did a dose response analysis, which they were supposed to be doing, and a relative source contribution. And instead of lowering it, like uh, the National Research Council said, from 0.06 milligrams per day, down to something lower. Instead, they raised it because they realized that, that fluoridation would stop and there are too many sources of fluoride and that the reality is, is that we're getting far more fluoride. So instead of protecting the public, they did less protection of the public. Just the opposite of what the National Research Council said. And the latest research shows that there's about five IQ point drop in the United States with fluoridated water and the fluoride sources that we're getting. So we're getting far too much and it is harming our brains. So, um, um, just recently, the, um, we filed last year uh, with the Toxic Substances Control Act 
um, a petition to stop fluoridation. And they came back within their 90 days as required by law and saying no. And one of the reasons that they said no is they said that we had not done a comprehensive analysis of all the uses of fluoride. Well, that's <laughs> setting the bar so high, it's impossible to, um, to abide by the law or file a complaint by the law because um, you can't, doing a, uh, something like fluoride where it's used in so many areas with pesticides and post-harvest fumigants and medications and dental products and water, toothpaste, all these different sources, to do a comprehensive analysis of all sources, virtually impossible. And the EPA has never done it. And uh, they're saying, well, we're not going to um, agree with you because you haven't done it. So we filed this lawsuit, and um, it's where the court will evaluate the information, what they call de novo, which means that, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, that we are standing on an equal footing with the EPA. They don't have to give deference to the government. Most of the time in courts, if a, if a entity or NGO or, or someone takes the government to court, the government has deference. The court will look at it and say, well, the, we're gonna, this is uncertain. We're going to give the government the benefit of the doubt. In this case, they don't do that. So we're pretty confident that the courts are going to be um, favorable in our position. So not only is the EPA not protecting us, but it's doing worse. It's sabotaging our health. It's causing harm because fluoride is a pernicious toxin. And if they're allowing the introduction of fluoride to, to massive levels for infants, they are essentially condemning them to ill health, especially the, the girls, because they're more likely to hypothyroidism. As I said earlier, fluoride is a halogen, so is iodine. And when you have fluoride, it preferentially displaces the iodine from the thyroid and gland, and especially the thyroid hormone. And without iodine, you cannot make active thyroid hormone. So that's a big issue. And it also, it's not just the kids. It, well, it is an extension of that. Before we go to the, not just the kids, any woman who is hypothyroid, or any man for that matter, but most of them are women, if you are hypothyroid, there is just no way you should ever think about drinking tap water with, that's contaminated with fluoride. It's going to make it worse. You just got to stop the fluoridated water. End of story, no discussion, no debate. And why the public health authorities do not get that is just beyond my comprehension. But the, secondarily, not as, it's not just the infants, of course, it's all of us, because fluoride is a metabolic mitochondrial poison, and we need to have our mitochondria functioning, functioning, functioning optimally if we ever hope to gain optimal health. So, but, but we see other consequences, like 58%, I want you to address this, 58% of adolescents, and this study was done a few years ago now, have dental fluorosis. Admittedly, just a cosmetic defect, but it's a signal, it's a sign that something else more devastating is going on metabolically. So why don't you address that? Well, um, dental fluorosis, um, the proponents will say it's just a little cosmetic blemish, uh, but it is a biomarker, a sign of a toxic exposure of fluoride. We're getting too much fluoride. When fluoridation was first started, um, we were assured that by public health authorities that only 10, maybe 15% of the public would get dental fluorosis 
that it would be just of the hardly noticeable, very light, um, not of significance at all. Um, a few years ago, the um, federal government came on out with a survey and they found that 41% of children, adolescents, had dental fluorosis. The most recent one uh, that we know of is what you just mentioned. 58% have some degree. But not only that, where, where we're even more concerned is that um, about 20% have moderate dental fluorosis, which is um, a sign of way too much. And 2% have severe dental fluorosis in the United States. And fluoridation is contributing to that. So, you know, the EPA says, well, you know, we're, we're only worried about 90 percentile. Uh, well, there are 2% that are having severe dental fluorosis. That's a huge number. Um, that is um, something that we must stop. And the best source of stopping it is, is to stop fluoridation of public water. Now, you brought up, um, Dr. Mercola, a very interesting point that the EPA uh, permits fluoridation. And that's one of our big problems is the EPA is permitting it. They don't do the fluoridation. Mm -hmm. And in looking at who regulates fluoridation, um, there is no federal agency that regulates fluoridation. The FDA, because it's a drug, should be regulating it, mm -hmm. but they're deferring regulatory action. The EPA is prohibited by Congress from adding anything to water for the treatment of humans, and so they don't um, add fluoride to water, and they just um, allow the public to do it, and they keep their maximum contaminant levels high enough so that it, it's possible to do it. And it's the local, state, cities, water districts, and this is why there's frequently voting on it by local areas, because it's the local people who are supposed to do all the scientific research. Now, think about that for just a second. You have people on the water district who are, maybe they run a, a, a store, maybe they run a, a business, maybe they're a lawyer, maybe they're a scientist, but frequently they are people who are trying to help out the local city in running and operating the city. They don't have a usually a science background, and yet we're asking them to do something, evaluate the science on something that's given to everyone without freedom of choice, and they're making this decision for you of whether that drug is safe and effective. They're doing the FDA's job, and if they say, yeah, it's safe and effective, well, then they vote yes on fluoridation. Mm -hmm. But who are they relying on? The CDC, to a large extent. And who does the CDC rely on? The American Dental Association. And what is the American Dental Association supposed to do? Protect dentists. Now, dentists make a significant amount of money with fluoride. And, and when, when this is brought up to me at first, I was rather defensive, saying, well, you know, I don't, I don't really make any money on fluoridation. It prevents decay. Um, well, it probably doesn't prevent decay, number one. Number two, if you add up all the money that is used in fluoride in the dental office, it's a significant amount of money. Your fluoride topical applications are significant. And of course, then the water fluoridation companies um, have to get rid of that toxic substance somehow. And by putting it into the water, you know, dilution of, of pollution is, is a solution, uh, is not really the right way to go, but that's what's happening in, in our water. It's given to all of us without our consent. And that's a huge factor. No label really on whether the water's fluoridated or whether it's had the fluoride removed and it's taken and given to us 
without individual consent. No doctor could do that. I mean, I, as a dentist, I can, I can prescribe fluoride for my patients of record, but I can't do it for everybody. And yet the water districts who are not legally able to prescribe do that. Now the FDA has done another thing which is very interesting. The FDA back oh, several years ago, um, when it comes to fluoride supplements, so that you can get your fluoride in the water, or you can get the fluoride from your doctor and say, please write me out a prescription, because it is a prescription drug. But that prescription drug is not an approved drug. So it hasn't gone through the regulatory processes of regulatory approval by the um, uh, Food and Drug Administration. And, and it is given to people based on a prescription. They looked at it and they said, it doesn't work. The evidence is incomplete on efficacy. They didn't even look at safety because they said, no, it doesn't work. Yes. So that's what the FDA said. EPA allows it. It's a local city water district that permits it. And when it comes to a discussion, when it comes to a debate, um, the science is very clear that we're getting too much fluoride, even if you like it. And if you like it and you want fluoride, get it from a different source. You can swallow a little bit of toothpaste, which the FDA says don't do. You can um, eat uh, non-organic foods, which have more fluoride pesticides. You can gnaw on some bones, because bones have a lot of fluoride, or have bone meal. All of these different things give you many sources of fluoride if you want it. But if you don't want it, it's really hard to get it out of, out of your life. Um, very, well, very hard. It's hard to get it's out of not labeled. It's hard to get out of the water supply, and that's really the issue. The issue that's is really not the issue. Yeah. The issue is not should someone use fluoride or not. I personally believe that that is a very foolish, uninformed choice to use fluoride in any way, in any way, topically or systemically, but certainly systemically. But to to dictate that everyone in your community has to get it and get it in doses that is not even dose appropriate for the weight is just medically irresponsible. Yeah, it's just no question. It's a crime. It's a crime against humanity. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a crime that's not committed frequently in Europe. Most of Europe is not Florida. They're smarter than we are. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You know, people don't well, get it. Well, you know, that. years ago in Europe, especially, they did prescribe, doctors prescribed fluoride to young boys with uh, attention deficit disorder. And today our medications uh, have uh, fluoride in them also. So, uh, well, not all, some, the disorder. some and do. So it does affect the thyroid, reducing a, a person's uh, activities. And so you're absolutely right that fluoride is an enzymatic reactor. It reacts with the enzymes of the body. And an illustration that was really interesting to me because enzymatic reactor didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me until um, somebody reminded me that, you know, sugar, if you take sugar and put it on the stove and turn up the heat and get it a little too hot, it'll burn. Sugar is very flammable um, and can burn, uh, well, very high temperature. That's how our body gets energy. It burns the sugar. But if, if it were not for the enzymes that reduce the heat, so it burns it slowly in our body, and that's why we don't burn up, is, is the enzymes. So fluoride is an enzymatic reactor um, with all systems of our body. It, it is highly um, toxic. And one of the, there are a couple things that, that we have not looked at in science. Um, you know, m most of these companies that provide us with chemicals and, and like fluoride, 
They don't look at the synergistic effects of chemicals. They don't look at the, the, the if something just contributes to a problem, contributes to thyroid problems, or contributes to neurologic damage. That's one of our concerns. Um, but the synergistic effects is, is something that um, we never study. In science, we try to take and, and just isolate things into one little problem, a yes or a no in our studies. But when we have synergistics, like what happens when lead and fluoride get at us? That's huge. And arsenic and thallium. these are far more toxic than just each one on their own. Yeah. And fluoride put into the water system leaches out the lead in the pipes. So this is one of our concerns uh, with adding fluoride to the water, is we not only add um, the fluoride, but we're leaching out the lead. When you add both of those, it adds more of a neurotoxic effect. Yes, and you, you, you mentioned the, that we burn sugar for fuel, and that's really a metaphor, not quite biochemically accurate. So I wanted to expand on that a little bit, uh, because we do, one source of energy for our body is our fuel. There's no question about it. It's primarily that we derive electrons from the fuel, primarily the sugars and the fats, that get transported into the mitochondria. <clears throat> and then they're transferred along the electron transport chain, and these electrons ultimately get <clears throat> transferred to water. And in that process, you generate ATP. The other way that we create energy is from exposure to the sunlight. And th I'm there's a point here. The sunlight has red and near-infrared radiation in there. And if you have excessive fluoride in your system, fluoride is well known to be a dielectric blocker. And what the heck does that mean? That means that it impairs, it inhibits, it essentially shuts down your body's ability to take this energy from the sun and convert it to energy that your mitochondria can use to produce ATP. So you are not just shutting down your thyroid, you're shutting down at a cellular level, cellular level your body's ability to to make energy. So if you're tired and fatigued, think about fluoride. It's a definitely, it's a, one of the factors that you've got to address. Getting the fluoride out of the water is tough. Yeah. Um, it's a very small element and the carbon filters don't take it out. You can't use just a simple little Brita filter to take it out. Um, reverse osmosis, of course, is, is strips the water um, of, of everything. And, you know, water is a, a good source of other minerals. Um, but when we filter out everything, why then we're losing some of our calcium and other uh, elements in the water, which can be helpful. So um, reverse osmosis is one method. There are bone char filters. Mm -hmm. um, and they are just starting on the market more now. There's some of them that are being used, like in, uh, in uh, Kenya and other countries, why they'll have home filters that are made with a ground up bone meal to try to filter out the, uh, the fluoride on it. Um, but it's not easy to get it out. If you have it in the water, why it's a, it's a bugger to get this stuff on out. I couldn't agree with you more. And actually biochar is even more effective than bone. Uh, and yes. we're actually in the process of developing some biochar uh, integrated with activated charcoal. And if, you, and if you have a home house water carbon filtration system that has a large mass, maybe even two of these tanks, almost the size of a water tank, then it will remove the fluoride because it's really the fluoride is, uh, removal is a direct proportion to the amount of fluoride and the time it's in contact with the media. But if you add biochar to it, it's just, it's just enormous. Now it's not going to get it all, but you're right, that is the core of the problem. This thing is just beyond challenging to remove out. Well, the only solid way to remove it is distilling it 
which gets out everything. It takes out the good minerals too, and then you got to restructure the water, you got the minerals back in. So it's just a mess. Clearly, the simplest, most effective, most cost-effective, best strategy is to not put it in to begin with. Absolutely. And you know, the Health and Human Services, um, they got a group of people together because of complaints from you and me and, and, and all of us were complaining. And uh, they got a committee together here a few years ago and they said, well, okay, um, maybe our recommendation of 0.7 to 1.24 um, uh, parts per million. Parts per million, yeah, is, is too high. So let's, uh, let's lower it, what can we agree on? And so they, in arguing and discussing, they finally came up with 0.7 at the bottom range of that. Most cities have now reduced that to 0.7. Why? Because we're getting too much fluoride. That means that, uh, according to their documentation, the fluoride exposure will be reduced by about 14%. Now, 14% is, is certainly better than nothing, uh -huh. but 14% is a not enough of a reduction. When you have 58% of, of children getting dental fluorosis, 14% is not adequate. So water is number one, but number two is toothpaste. And there is a fair amount of fairly good research showing that topical fluoride has a benefit in reducing dental caries. But in two situations, number one in radio, uh, radiation caries, which means that if you've had a lot of x-rays to your head for cancer, that using a toothpaste would be beneficial. Now, most people haven't had this radiation caries. The second kind is in uh, rampant dental caries. Rampant dental caries is where people are eating too much junk food, sugar, not cleaning their teeth. And if your health is really poor because you're eating too much junk food, throwing a little bit of toxic chemical of fluoride onto the surface might help a little bit. But so much better to start changing the diet and getting rid of some of this sugar. I mean, just throwing the fluoride at it's not going to stop the caries may reduce a little bit, but not much. So people are using fluoride in their toothpaste because they think it's gonna really have a great benefit. And it will some, but not much. The problem is, is that we swallow too much of it, especially infants. I remember when my daughter was 11 years old, it was late at night and I stuck my head in and I started watching her brush her teeth and she went, Dad, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just making sure that when you brush your teeth, that you spit before you swallow. And she said, Dad, I know what I'm doing. I've done this lots of times. And she was brushing away and the foam was all over her mouth. And, and so then she, I said, now be sure to spit. And she leaned over the sink and I watched her throat. And when she swallowed, I mean, when she, before she spit, she swallowed, her, her, her throat went and swallowed some and then she spit because it's a reflex. Put something in the mouth, there's a tendency for it to be swallowed before we spit it. And so we had to practice that at the age of 11, had to practice spitting before swallowing. Now you take a two-year-old, a one-year-old, you throw some toothpaste on there, there's a big chance that they're going to be uh, swallowing some of their toothpaste, which is a big source of fluoride. Yeah, so the uh, you couldn't be more spot on with respect to the diet that's how you prevent dental caries absolutely there's no question about it because as we know there's it's dental caries is there from a, an infection 
uh, and it, which is an abnormality of the, the mouth microbiome, which is clearly the mouth is part of their gut, so it's a gut microbiome issue. So there are cultures like Korea, I can think of specifically, that 98% of the population does not have a cavity. 98%, that's insane. Why? Because they, they, their culture still abides by these ancient traditions of how they eat and they eat a lot of fermented foods. So they have not disrupted their microbiome. But our culture has just abandoned that well over a century ago and as a result we have all these caries. And it was well documented at Weston Price, uh, disease and physical degeneration. You can see that he, he's a dentist about 100 years ago now, maybe 80, 90 years ago. And he's, he's got a book. 400 page book, 500 pages full of pictures that shows all this really clearly. Not only the teeth, but the deformation. I mean, what you, you can clearly, the wrong diet will give you, increase your risk of cavities, but it also deforms your bones so that you wind up getting sleep apnea when you're an adult or even a, a teenager. So it's just massive. So what the purpose of our interview today, our connection, our interaction, is to encourage people to understand this is an issue. So what can you do? Our goal, and it has been for more than six or seven years, and we've supported FAN, Fluoride Action Network, to because they're the best group out there in the United States that's taking action and making progress in eliminating, as we hopefully provide a compelling argument for you, eliminating fluoride from the water supply. These other issues are tangential. Fluoride in the toothpaste and the medicines, especially fluoroquinolones, they're big issues, but that's not what FAN does. FAN works on getting the water out of the water supply. And if you want to use fluoride, you're free to do it. If you want to smoke, you're free to do it. If you want to get drunk or use drugs, you can do that. Maybe not legally some of the drugs, but certainly smoke. So, but you should not have to have fluoride in your water supply. So that's what we're here for. Maybe we want you to talk about TAM because FAN because you, you've been working with them for a while and how successful they've been in this strategy this, uh, to, in, to crusade to eliminate fluoride from the municipal water supplies in the United States or North America, actually the world, but you know, the big portion of it is North America. Well, we just did a, an evaluation of people who are wanting to get the fluoride out of their water. If there's a local interest in getting a, the fluoride out of their water, um, over half of all of the debates and the voting that happens with getting fluoride out we're successful in helping people stop or not have fluoride put into their water. So if you don't want it, you, it's not that you're helpless. You can get it out of your water. It's going to take a lot of work. And Dr. McCall, I, I want to thank you, especially for your great support in helping us get the information out, supporting us in many ways to um, stop fluoridation uh, and raise awareness of how people are getting too much fluoride. I really appreciate that. Now, in September 16 and 17 of 2017, we're having a uh, fluoride conference in Washington, D.C., and it's open to anyone who's interested. Uh, get on our website, fluoridealert.org, fluoridealert.org. All one um, word, no and, hyphens. Uh, you can find out more about the um, conference that's coming on up. So we appreciate very much what, what you're doing and what many people are doing in helping to get fluoride out of the water. That's a doable. All we have to do is turn off the faucet, turn, turn off the pump, turn off the, the, the fluoride, don't add it. We'd save a ton of money and our health would improve if we could just turn it off. It's a little bit like adding lead to gasoline. You know, they just stop putting the lead in the gasoline 
and and um, well, you got a lot less lead exposure. It's somewhat similar, but that's a good analogy. We could t talk about that for a bit. But there was this really pioneer crusader, Claire Peterson, and we did an article on it. It's P E D E R S I, I believe is his name, and. He was, uh, I forget his specialty, he was a PhD of some sort, he was a researcher, and he, I mean, it, it's just amazing, for thousands of years, certainly centuries, for many centuries, we've known, lead is a poison, don't eat lead, but the, the, the petroleum industry, you know, they had a problem with knocking in the engines, and they had these other solutions, and they, but the most cost-effective solution for them, and the one that actually increased their profits was to add lead into it and it stopped the knocks and they were they they uh, fancied it up they actually called her called it ethyl lead diethyl lead and they actually gave it a name so there's like put a picture of a woman named ethyl on it so it, it, it really uh, anthropomorphized the whole process and it made it seem like it was harmless when it was it would cost so much pathology even today most people watching this are contaminated with lead. I can guarantee you it's just an artifact, even though they stopped it in the 70s. But he, the only way he was able to figure it out is he had to go to Antarctica and get the Arctic ice samples and show it. And even then, he was vilified and discredited, and, but he persevered, and he, he finally was able to get it done. So and that was going on for 80 years. And Florid, fluoridation, when did it start, in the 50s or so? Uh, actually, 30s is when they started 30 started. about it, but 40s, and 50s, this is when it really started, yeah. yes. So it's going to be just, it's going to be a hard process. Uh, and actually when Claire did his work, it, all the, the gas in the world, the entire world was, had lead added to it. And he got it done, it was eliminated. Now, there's still some countries in the world that haven't caught up, but most of the countries have eliminated it. But, you know, with fluoride, it should be easier because most of the world doesn't fluoridate the water. They're, they're smarter than we are. But it's just, it's just... I, I won't, went into the details because to inspire you to catalyze action because we can make a difference. Claire Peterson did it. I mean, he, he bought the bullet for doing it, uh, but he was successful. And I, unknown guys like that literally has impact on millions, tens of millions of people's health because he per persevered and was able to get this poison out. And, it's, and you're right, it's very, fluoride and lead are pretty similar. Uh, they're both metabolic poisons. Yeah. You know, one of the concerns that I have, or uh, another piece of new information which is quite interesting, is the National Toxicology Program, Office of Health Assessment and Translation. Now, that's a, a big name. Why they are doing research, um, we nominated fluoride for them to uh, evaluate about a year and a half ago. They started on it, and um, they've been doing this research on it. They looked at the animals, and they said, that uh, the research so far showed that it may have uh, neurotoxic effects, which was very positive. If they find, when they finally do the human evaluation, the studies that exist, why well, they might find that it, uh, if that has a, uh, uh, evidence of neurotoxicity, then they will call it a neurotoxin. So um, uh, they're right now doing some animal studies to fill in some of the gaps in, in the animal studies. Um, we're, it's very promising that the National Toxicology Program will come up with some very good information for us. Um, and we're eager to hear about that this summer, uh, 2017. And uh, uh, the other thing is um, research is interesting. You know, there are good scientists on both sides of this issue. But if you look at why is there such a controversy in research 
a lot of times it's what I call bias. <laughs> and the bias comes in that, that when I hold the view of something, the evidence doesn't have to be real strong because it's my view. And then somebody else comes to me with their view and I go, but that's not good science because it's not proof. And so I hold them to a higher standard than I hold myself. And this is what's happened a lot with fluoridation. Those promoting fluoride will say, you know, it's effective. Well, the research is very poor on effective. They accept very poor research to say that it's effective. And then they turn around and, and when we say, but it's harmful, they say, oh, where's your proof that it's harmful? Where are the high quality studies that it's harmful? And so that's a bias that we get in many areas of health where a person's belief is, is supported by poor science, but anybody else's position, uh, we demand extremely high quality from them. And it's, it's a bias that's in, in all aspects of, of health care. But it's even worse than bias. It's something we call COI, conflict of interest. So everyone's going to have bias but those studies that you cited that's that support fluoridation well who are they funded you know research isn't for free someone's got to pay for the study and most of those studies were funded for by the industry that's yes. supporting it so that's beyond bias in my view that's, uh, that's you're right you're right it's beyond bias yeah so i mean bias is something that you have to contend with and, it, and it's it's unavoidable uh, and if you have good peer reviewers, uh, you can sort of uh, clear for that. But, uh, you know, this conflict of interest is just hidden. And it's, uh, they, the industry uses repetitively, not just in the dentistry, but in, in the food industry, in the drug industry. It's just so pervasive. And then they've got this revolving conf conflict of interest. In addition to that, where the people who actually are reviewers for the journals uh, and the the, the, the significant people who choose to put the articles out they're funded by the industry they go in they're they're, they're shills for the industry so it's yes. just, they're just a mouthpiece for industry to say what they want and to support it and to continue to brainwash not only the profession the dental profession but the public and the public health officials which in, you know just perpetuates the whole cycle yeah yeah it they're they're arms of the industry profit is king so We've covered a lot of great information for people to really give them the knowledge that they haven't had it already, that this is a serious issue they need to be concerned about. And like anything, don't believe me, don't believe Dr. Asmus, go to the internet and check it out yourself. Figure this thing out. You know, you can do this. You know, you couldn't do it last century. You can do it now and it doesn't cost you anything but your time. So. Please understand this is a very significant issue. So having said that, is there anything else you'd like to highlight, emphasize, or, or, or restate, or, or provide any additional points that we think we need to know now? Well, let me summarize just briefly. My biggest concern is freedom of choice. Fluoridation of water adds too much fluoride to many individuals, most of us, all of us, and it's done without freedom of choice. If, if a person wants to have fluoride in other areas because of medications or something else, there's a secondary purpose for that, which may be a benefit that's your choice. But fluoridated water removes my freedom of choice. America stands for freedom. We need to have freedom and allow people to not have fluoride. Some people are being harmed and they don't want the fluoride. I have one lady who 
whose um, son has real problems with fluoride and he can't even take a, a shower or a bath in fluoridated water because it's so chemically sensitive, he's autistic. And, and so what do you do for this young man? For a while, to try to find out if he was having problems with the fluoridated water, she would take bottled water and heat the bottled water on the stove to give him a bath. Now he's, he's about six foot tall, he's 230 pounds and he's uh, 25 years of age and she's having to heat water on the stove. Why? Because we aren't giving freedom of choice to people to have fluoride if they want it. We're giving it in their bath water and everywhere. This is ridiculous. It's insane. And when you said that it was a crime against humanity, it is. It's a toxic crime against humanity. And, and so we're getting too much fluoride. It's probably not beneficial. And it's causing serious problems to the developing brain. When? That's one of the questions we don't know. Is it causing it genetically before conception? Is it causing it while the baby is being brain is being developed in utero? Is it being caused afterwards? Or is it all of those situations? We don't know, but we do know that it's lowering IQ. It's a tremendous expense when you start lowering IQ. For every IQ point drop, we're looking at uh, maybe 500 to $1,000 lower income. That's huge. The brain is extremely important. 200 million people in the United States on fluoridated water. At about $1,000, an IQ at five IQ point loss, that's a trillion dollars a year negative economic impact on our country. We can't afford it. We need to stop fluoridation. It's extremely important. Give people freedom of choice. Okay, I couldn't agree more, but Bill? It's even worse than that, because not only does Florida responsible for all the items that you mentioned, but hardly any health professional studies molecular biology. They are beyond clueless about how the mitochondria work. And once you understand that and realize that fluoride is a mitochondrial poison, not only is it contributed to these problems, but it's contributed to cancer, heart disease, yeah. diabetes, obesity, neurodegenerative disease, and we have a tsunami of Alzheimer's coming. So. Fluoride is an issue, even though it's not, the studies don't really purport, connect it because they don't understand the molecular biology yet. They will in the future, but not now. But it doesn't mean that you have to be affected by this, and you can do something. If you are passionate about this, as I am, or even half as passionate, then please support Fluoride Action Network. And, and for every dollar you're going to donate, I'm going to donate, donate at least one and probably more to match it because I believe so strongly in this that this is an abrogation of our, of our freedoms as Americans to have this inserted involuntarily into our water supply, and we have no choice. So please, you know, get on board and help support this important project because it's not going to just help you and your family, it'll help everyone. And thank you very much, Dr. Mercola, for your support in this helping America have better health. It's just unimaginable what, what you've been doing, uh, or unmeasurable what you've been doing and helping America have better health. We owe you a tremendous. Well, thank you. It's my passion, so it's easy to do. <laughs> All right, so let's get your support out there and, and help this project.